1: fsn radio it's all about what's next go to Network.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter you'll also get three free reports the financial survival network it's all about what's next
0: welcome you are listening to the financial survival network it's Kerry lutz the date is december 21st 2015 and the dominoes are falling john welcome back as always
1: hey carrie good to be back
0: so what about this you've got an article here that i think is right on the cutting edge the dominoes keep falling leftward lurches and em defaults sounds ominous Um
1: yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes there's one big story that dominates the uh, the financial landscape. Like last week when we had the Fed raising interest rates, that's all anybody really talked about. And and uh, since then, there, there's no one big story, but there are a lot of smaller ones that if you put them together, they form... A picture that is, you know, ominous. Obviously, <laughs> because that's what we talk about is the uh, the scary stuff that's going on out there. And uh, and this one, this article has three stories that all point towards trouble in the future. And the the first is about the uh, the nine trillion dollars of dollar denominated debt that the uh, developing world took on in the last few years. And that, that's a big topic of conversation out there because it's going to blow up someday and it's going to, going to cause a lot of trouble now that the dollar is up, making a lot of those debts um, unmanageable. But nothing has happened with it so far. It's been this thing that was prospective, but not in the present moment. But um, this weekend, it started to blow up. The, uh, the biggest construction company in Mexico defaulted on its dollar-denominated debt. And this is, in and of itself, pretty good size story because the uh, the company is very big in terms of Mexico's economy and stock market. But it's also um, a good example of what's going to happen more frequently out there going forward because this story is about a billion dollars worth of dollar denominated debt that's been defaulted on. And so the amount of dollar denominated debt that's in the emerging markets now is about 9,000 times that big. And so in the future... If this is any indication, we'll see a lot more of this and the numbers are going to get bigger and bigger and, uh, and become scarier and scarier. And not just for emerging market debts, because a lot of these bonds and bank loans are owed to developed world institutions. In other words, either, either our big banks are on the hook for this debt or a lot of our pension funds and, and hedge funds are. So blow ups there, you know, defaults in the emerging markets will come back to haunt us. And I think that's very much in prospect for 2016. We should see a lot more of this. Um, And on the political front, um, when just generally speaking, when you borrow too much money, uh, your political system tends to spin out of control. You become an ungovernable system. And that's also happening out there. Um, Brazil, for instance, responded to the... um, the Great Recession by going back to tried and true left-wing policies of borrowing huge amounts of money and spending it on favored constituencies. So the government went deeply into debt, it encouraged the private sector to go into debt, and then its economy started to spin out of control. And it's also got a big political scandal going on at the same time where the the elites in the country were taking this new income stream and basically dividing it up among themselves. And so Now you've got the president on the verge of being um, impeached, a whole bunch of other big players in the financial system and in the government in various stages of uh, criminal prosecution. And they they had a, a finance minister who was generally liked by the markets because he was actively trying to rein in government spending and um, and keep deficits at reasonable levels. And he was failing, but at least he was trying. Well, they, they just fired him and replaced him with uh, somebody who is seen as kind of a left-wing political operative, who who's going to be a lot more open to bailing out all the industries that are in trouble and generally increasing government spending going forward. And that means that uh, this lurch to the left that Brazil is undergoing now is only going to make things worse. So, they're choosing to treat the symptoms of the problem in the near term rather than the problem itself, which is long-term imbalances in, in the size of government and the amount of debt that the private sector is taking on. So they're just making things worse. And you can expect that to happen in general in a system that uh, that is in that kind of a position, because that's what the whole rest of the world is doing. You know, the U.S. and Europe and Japan are all choosing these kinds of policies where we respond to crises with more debt and bigger government. And uh, that maybe solves the problem in the short run, but only in the sense that a, a new shot of heroin stops a junkie from having a withdrawal um, but at the cost of a bigger problem in the future and the the final story in this article is what happened in the spanish election
0: oh yeah i saw weekend. that that was amazing
1: yeah yeah, yeah. it was basically the, the same thing a, a country that's over indebted and also has a um, a corruption scandal which you get when you take on too much debt because there's too much money sloshing around and the political system tends to uh, um, tend to be tends to be corrupted by too much money at the governmental level, and uh, so they just had an election in which the ruling party, the conservative party, lost its majority, and the uh, the biggest gainer was a far left wing party called Podemos. So now the uh, the coalition that looks like it's most likely to end up forming a government is the socialists who will be pulled to the left by their new partner, Podemos. And so the new Spanish government is likely to be extremely anti-austerity and very possibly anti-Euro, which isn't necessarily a bad thing since the Euro is a mess, and it's not really working for a lot of the countries that have joined the Eurozone. But it will mean higher government spending, probably higher taxes, and, uh, and more inflation going forward and instability going forward. So, so we're seeing lurches to the left right now um, in some countries that are in financial crisis, and this will not lead to a solution. Not that there is really a good solution when you borrow too much money, but uh, the impulse to inflate your way out of financial crises leads to instability historically. And so that's what we're seeing around the world right now. And to the extent that it continues, it means that the currency war is going to rev up. You know, everybody's going to be trying to depreciate their currencies at the expense of their trading partners who then have to respond in kind. And you get kind of a race to the bottom in fiat currency values. So that's part of the big story of 2016. We've got this deflationary crisis that's coming to a head around the world with commodities crashing and economies slowing down. And you're seeing political systems adapt to this by increasing government spending and, and generally trying to inflate their way out of their problems. So this kind of instability is what will dominate the headlines in 2016. And it's very possibly the final stage of this process, the death throes of these fiat currencies. So I, I think we've got a fascinating year coming up, Carrie, and uh, at least from a theoretical standpoint, from the <laughs> Living standpoint it, of the average person, it's going to be a nightmare.
0: Yeah. Living through it, not so good. Uh- so you thinking uh, bank runs are coming? Or?
1: Well, in, in some places, sure. You know, if you have a uh, deflationary crash, which is what we're looking at in a lot of places, especially the commodity-based countries, and then also in Europe where um, – The periphery can't really live within a financial system that suits Germany. Deflation is the story of the day right now, because uh, if you're a big seller of iron ore or oil, for instance, on the global marketplace, um, you're seeing your revenues just crash. And so that's very deflationary, you know, Saudi Arabia, Brazil, um, Canada, (laughs) you know, these are countries that are looking at the edge of an abyss right now and kind of tipping over into that abyss. oil doesn't come back. And in, in, it actually looks like oil, especially, is headed lower because this supply-demand situation is still so far out of balance. Um, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but there there are stories out there um, about um, oil tankers, fully loaded, Just sailing around the ocean because they have no place to unload their oil because all the terrestrial uh, oil um, storage facilities are full, you know, and and that kind of thing usually precedes a big crack in the price. And since the price has already crashed, um, another crack from here would take us down into the 20s, probably, which would very possibly bankrupt a lot of entities in the oil patch. And that that includes Saudi Arabia and runs all the way through the frackers in the U.S. and, and several other oil producing countries. So, you know, let that happen. And deflation will be the big immediate story of the day in 2016. But then the response of the world's central banks to deflation uh, will shift the story in a hurry because you'll see massive, massive quantitative easing out of the big central banks and then negative interest rates um, way out to five, seven, 10 years on the yield curve for a lot of countries. And that is extremely inflationary. So we'll have this the battle that we've had for the last 10 years between a deflationary credit bust and an inflationary unlimited printing press in the hands of most major governments. Um, we'll, We'll shift that war into overdrive. And I think eventually the unlimited printing press wins but it's a question of timing. Does deflation completely define the economic landscape of the year ahead? Or do central banks jump on this right away and shift the story to inflation later in the year? I don't know. We'll see. But either way, fascinating prospect, you know, because we've never been here before. This is completely uncharted financial territory, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out.
0: And if you look at the dollar, uh, the dollar has been a big surprise, Uh, It's outperformed virtually everybody's expectations, Uh, mine and yours, uh, who thought that this was going to happen where we thought the dollar was headed for the dustbin. And it is eventually, let's face it, but uh, not so quick. Evidently, there's still a few more rounds left to go in this uh, in this travail.
1: Yeah. If you just look at U.S. numbers, you would say that uh, the dollar should be plunging in value. You know, the amount of debt that we're taking on and the amount of money that we're creating and, and the various other kinds of leverage and financial instability that we're seeing. Um, that's that's all bad news for a currency in a vacuum. But it turns out that the rest of the world is in even worse shape. And so we're seeing capital inflows um, looking for a, a safe haven, and they're choosing the dollar as bad as we are. You know, it looks worse from the point of view of um, a rich guy in Brazil or China. You know, you look around, you see your your domestic economy, your local economy on the verge of spinning out of control. And so what do you do with your capital? You move it to a place where you might have a year or two of tranquility uh, before it all hits the fan. And so that's why um, Miami condos are sort of the uh, this year's bank account for a lot of foreigners. You know, they, they don't need to make money on their Miami condo. They just think of it as a place to store their cash. So they, they buy this piece of real estate in the U.S. or, or a um, Manhattan townhouse or a San Francisco apartment. You know, you can, you can buy these things and be reasonably certain that you'll get some money back in the future. Even if it doesn't hold its current value, you'll still do better than you would in a hyperinflating Latin American economy or a, a Chinese economy with capital controls that, that won't let you move your money and, uh, and then um, force you to deal with whatever it is that happens during the credit crisis that stems from all the money that China borrowed in uh, the the last five or six years. So yeah, um, the US is benefiting from safe haven flows right now. And it could continue to benefit, especially if we continue to tighten. You know, if the Fed decides it wants to raise interest rates a couple more times, while the uh, European Central Bank is aggressively easing, and uh, the Chinese Central Bank is aggressively easing, and Japan is just going hog wild over there buying stocks and ETFs and pretty much every other financial asset with newly created yen. You know, when When those situations are the way they are out there um, and the U.S. is tightening, it makes us look a lot more attractive in the short run. But uh, in the long run, we suffer from a too strong dollar. And we're already tipping over into recession by a lot of standards. And in, in 2016, I think we'll see, you know, the manufacturing economy in the U.S. continue to contract and uh, the commodities-based part of the U.S. economy continue to fall. And we'll see a lot of junk bond turmoil. And and we have overvalued equities that could have a bear market in the next few years just based on valuation or, or sorry, in the next few months, really. You know, we could tip over into yeah. um, 15 20% decline in stocks, very, easily. So you let all that happen. And uh, we're not going to look nearly as attractive as we do right now.
0: Oh, no question. But again, everything is relative. What else out there is going to be better? And uh, the, the answer is uh, not a heck of a lot, right? No, Even still- no
1: I, I would have said a year yeah. ago that precious metals or two years ago or three years ago that precious metals would be a huge beneficiary of all this. And they they haven't been yet, but I I still think that um, when capital is terrified all over the world, that historically precious metals have been the beneficiary of that. So I think we could see that again once the central banks of the world really rev up their their latest experimental QE, debt jubilee, negative interest rate, war on cash kinds of policies.
0: Yeah, well, it's going to get interesting real fast here. This we do know. And once that uh, knife starts falling... Don't try to catch it. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of things that, um, that that are kind of value traps out there in the not too distant future where something has gone down a bit and it looks like it's cheap, but it's actually not, you know, that it actually has a lot further to fall. We found that out in uh, 2008, 2009 when the stock market dropped by 20 or 30% and a lot of people bought that dip. And then it went down by almost half from there again. And so we're going to learn that lesson again. And obviously, commodities investors are already learning it, that the 20 or 30% drop that preceded the crash was actually not a buying opportunity. And so I think we'll see that in financial assets at some point, in other words, stocks and bonds. And when it happens, it's going to shock a lot of people, and it's going to burn a lot of people who don't deserve to be burned. You know, the uh, the retirees and the pension funds that manage the retirees' future benefits. Uh, these are the guys who are going to suffer because they've been herded into riskier and riskier investments over the past three or four years, and now they're stuck in junk bonds and dividend-paying stocks and things like that that are just going to crash if we have a financial crisis, and we've created the conditions for a financial crisis. So we could see these people who don't deserve to be hurt being really hurt in the year ahead
0: i'd say you could count on it because the uh, the big guys have got 18 different strategies for dealing with this even some of them get burned too hedge funds. Yeah. You know, hedge funds are
1: having a horrible year. (laughs) The so-called smart money is getting crushed right now. And they really don't know what to do because they've, uh, they try one thing and it doesn't work. So they switch and they try something else and it doesn't work. and, And they just end up losing a lot of money. And then, then they get redemptions where people want their money back, which forces them to sell things at bargain basement prices. You know, that that's the kind of cascade failure that happens in a credit crisis. We're seeing that in the hedge fund space right now.
0: And I'll just give one example, these div- high dividend paying stocks, especially things like Pipeline, MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships, which have been great since a few months after the crash in uh, in 08, 09, because what happened then was that the, the hedge funds were getting massive redemptions and they had... They love these dividend-paying stocks hedge funds because you don't really need to think much about them. You just lever up at money that you're borrowing at a quarter of a percent, half a percent from the Federal Reserve. These stocks are paying 7 8% and you lever up and you wind up with this huge return. But the downside is when those stocks go down and not much to make them go down other than the main holders needing to redeem payoff bonds. Uh, you know needing to sell to pay off redemptions that's exactly what happened in 0809 the stocks went down some of them 70 80% overnight and then investors just swooped down upon them i mean i remember i bought one called regency partners and natural gas firm and the stock like tripled overnight and it was still paying me like 8 10% on the new price I mean, based on what I paid for it, it was paying 16%, 18%. And then you reinvest those dividends, and and pretty soon that thing is is turbocharged. So you could look for these dividend-paying stocks to really get slammed, even if their dividends are safe, which a lot of them aren't, as we know. uh, They're going to get slammed. Anyway, John, it's uh, time to leave. Find John's work at dollarcollapse.com. Hey, John, your first podcast is out too, and it sounds amazing.
1: Oh, thanks, Gary. Yeah, it's out. It was a, a challenge putting the first one together, but it's going to be a lot smoother going forward. So um, the next one will come out midweek, probably late Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. So uh, I'll send out a blast email when it's ready.
0: Yeah. And uh, if you want to get the uh, link in advance, uh, John, uh, where, where should they email you?
1: Info at dot is the best email. And uh, I'll put you on the mailing
0: list for future podcasts. And, and we'll have it posted on Network.com as well. So you'll be able to find it there. And John, good luck with the podcast. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Thanks, Kerry. Talk to you next week.
0: FSN Radio. It's all about what's next.
1: Go to financialsurvivalnetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.